Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where our goal is to help you find health and community through movement. I'm Molly Herford, a writer, coach, and yoga teacher. And I'm Peter Glassford, an endurance coach and kinesiologist. Every week, we're talking to athletes and experts who can help you lead your best active, adventurous life. Whether you're a gravel racer, a marathon runner, or you just got out on your first bike ride yesterday, we're here cheering you on. You can also visit us online at consummateathlete.com for coaching information and training tips, nutrition advice, yoga flows, bike skills, and more. And now, let's get into this week's episode. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Peter, how's it going? Are you having the best day ever? Yeah, it was pretty good. I was able to ride. We're in, uh, where are we? Bentonville. Bentonville, Arkansas, near Fayetteville, Arkansas. So we were at the World Cyclocross Championships over the last two days. So it's been... I've never actually figured out if it's supposed to be Cyclocross World Championships, World Championships of Cyclocross, World Cyclocross Championships... Not really sure what order it's supposed well, to go in. people say CX Worlds. So there you go. We were at CX Worlds. Uh, it was, yeah, super, super cool racing and just awesome event overall. Yeah, um, good to see some people we haven't seen in a while. And yeah, it was good. good. Mm-hmm. And this place is a very good place. So today I was out and I did the back 40 for anyone who's familiar, uh, which was good. Yeah, yeah. We've been exploring the trails here. DW has been exploring the Bark Park. Yes. Uh, he is less enthused than we are, but he's he's getting used to it. Uh, and yeah, it's just really neat. I mean, and we're getting to see kind of consummate athleting happening all over the place. There was actually a guy who was mountain biking as we were walking DW who was uh, utilizing one of those um, workout stations. Yeah, they have doing... a lot of outdoor sort of uh, fitness stations, I guess, or mm-hmm. fitness areas. They have a few. I've seen a few different ones. One is a combo with uh, a kid's sort of pump track, you know, skills park. What did they call it? It's... Was it, it wasn't Skills Garden. That was what I, the thing I was talking about. Playground. It was yeah, Skills bike, Playground. Bike Playground. Uh, but it sort of has a mini pump track and some little whoops and uh, these tubes that the kids can ride through as well. Yeah, it was. Re- we, we've seen uh, kids of every age uh, out on that today. I actually saw, I think, probably like an 18-month-old on the tiniest bike. Well, yeah, I think, it's, being, like, I think the striders are probably, yeah, the... Maybe the target audience. I don't know. But anyhow, they have that. And that's sort of combined with dog parks. Uh, and then the other one I saw was a pump track combined with another sort of fitness station area, which I thought was a neat combo for a park. It was that's really pump smart. track, but like no dividers between them. Uh, so you could almost do pump track. I think Ryan Leach would actually really like that sort of this core and then mm-hmm. bike skills, you know, pump track until you're tired. And then, you know, you could do a plank or a hang from pull up bar or something. So I thought mm-hmm. an interesting outdoor space. Yeah, yeah, and the world's races themselves were fantastic. I mean, I think pretty much every race had something awesome happening in it. Um, and yeah, I think if you can watch, if you haven't watched it yet, definitely watch those replays uh, or at least watch the highlights. That'll keep you bopping along on the trainer for sure. Um, and I think we wanted to just maybe touch on a couple of uh, points that we maybe noticed from this that are applicable to a broader racing audience. Um, and I think for me, it was actually just seeing how smart the lead racers were about, I mean, everything, but particularly in the women's race. I don't want to give too many spoilers here because I'm afraid people won't have seen it, but if you haven't seen it by now, you've probably seen a spoiler. Uh, Anyway, uh, so women's race, it was Mariana Voss and Lucinda Brand battling it out until, you know, the final sprint, just amazing display of raw power, but also just amazing tactics and it's so interesting watching two women who are so good on the road as well um you know and boss has raced i mean every discipline uh to see both of them go into it and just be kind of tactically trying to like out out fox each other was just so good we actually watched the the replay of it just to watch that last lap because you're you know when you're there you can only see a couple parts of the course at a time sure Um, but just how strategic they both were particularly Voss, obviously, but, uh, you know, they, they were both just thinking through everything so well and so smart. Well, and the debate, I guess, is do the people behind possess the fitness or is the race tight enough that they can, could they perform such things? Yeah. Good question. I don't know. Right. It's a tricky, or is it just sort of whoever goes hardest and you sort of ride away? Well, I think this goes to our, our constant refrain of riding outdoors versus riding inside on the trainer. Uh, there's just no amount of Zwift riding that's going to give you 
that ability to like take that corner just a little bit tighter or like hit that one line or randomly track stand to try to get the other person to go around you so that they're in the lead. Mm. Uh, just all of those little things can't be replicated on a, on an indoor trainer. They have to be done sure. out on the road or out on the course with someone. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I, I thought the one thing that caught my eye is, and I have often beaten this drum of standing just being so important which is another thing on the trainer you can't really learn to stand on the trainer the bike doesn't move side to side you know it's hard on the frame so you don't really do a lot of standing and certainly not the explosive standing that you need so but it's tough because you also need the fitness to do it and and so i think you build the fitness by doing that in training and intervals and, and that thing but you do see just especially in the women now that's you've seen such a difference people say oh the women's racing is more explosive now and it's you know more exciting i think a big part of that is the level is now high enough and i don't know if it's a skill element or or what it is but you're seeing you know they're standing it looks you know it's it's i guess just like the men's race Mm -hmm. um but you know that main climb where uh tom pittock got away pitcock i always say pittock yeah we're gonna say pittock uh he got away uh, or just before the climb, but the climb was just super impressive when he was going up, but equally impressive was Voss and, um, and Lucinda, Br- Brand yeah. going up it. Right. So I think it's worth watching that because the question then is, are the people behind sitting because they're not fit enough to stand possibly, or have they not trained in that way? Right. Right. It's hard to say. Right? Yeah. I don't know. It's maybe a bit of both. Right. Yeah, for sure. And so when, when he's talking about standing and how you can't really emulate that on the trainer, it's because when you're standing on the trainer, you're still stuck in one plane of motion. But when you're standing on the road to climb a hill, say you're really moving the bike from side to side with you. Your body is moving from side to side. It's a lot more full body than you can really make it on the trainer. You'd rip your frame if you tried to do it on the trainer. Well, just, uh, yeah, yeah, they're it getting doesn't. some like rocking things that allow you to do a little it's bit of it, not, but it's still not yeah. the same thing. I mean, it, because it's relying on, uh, I don't even know if my physics are good enough to tell you what it relies on, but, um, you know, the gyroscopics of the wheel, I guess I'm probably embarrassing my physics self, uh, right. It's just hard to do. And it's very dynamic, right? Cause you're relying on this bike leaning side to side and you're sort of jumping side to side on each pedal and using the body weight to, you know, move the bike forward. Essentially you're putting all your body weight and you certainly see differences. You know, the bigger riders tend to sit more, it's more costly to stand up. Uh, they also tend to have more muscle to push when they're seated, right? So it's well, not that arguably it's the uh, the cost of uh, they just have more of a tendency, I think, for the wheel, the back wheel to slide if they uh, lift their butt up. Possibly, I, but I think that's just the trend you see is you know they they're able to stay seated longer, right? And again, this isn't a either or; it's a both. If you watch uh, Pitcock, would have been seated for parts of this climb. It's not that he stood necessarily the whole climb, but I'm pretty sure he stood most of it. But he's a tiny little guy too. Uh, so I think it's just something to ponder, right? Like how do, how are we approaching our intervals? Is that important for our race? It might not be right in a a race like unbound or something where it's longer, you want to sort of conserve those standing bits. Mm -hmm. Uh, but for any racers who, you know, are aspiring to that, it's pretty obvious that is, is one thing that I think caught my eye. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it just has to be said Voss, like her eighth, her eighth cyclocross world championship title oh was it cyclocross i thought you meant like totals no worlds. that's just cyclocross eighth world title i mean i've now i've been so excited that i've gotten to see her race to the win twice now once in 2013 in louisville there are a lot of american cyclocross fans that can say that as well um and i i think a lot of tears were shed around that course just seeing her take that win in such a such a cool fashion now i guess Uh, we should almost back up because some listeners might not know is there where are some possibilities of seeing replays oh uh if you're in the u.s gcn has the replay uh if you're in canada flow bikes has the replay but then uci channel and the uci channel will have some highlights they actually don't have on on youtube on youtube yeah they didn't have them up on monday afternoon but i imagine they're working on it um and i have to say I'm gonna just gonna kind of plug this. I do think if you're a cycling fan, it's it's worth subscribing to one or the other. I'm not saying you have to subscribe to both. I recognize that that's costly, but I mean, as as a journalist, I can say you know a lot of these organizations are barely able to make ends meet, you know, to bring the cycling coverage. So if we want cycling to grow, if we want North America to have the cycling coverage, mm-hmm. we really have to you know actually unfortunately shell out for it a little bit. Like these. 
as one of the journalists who ends up at these races, it's not cheap to broadcast these. It's not cheap to cover them. And the coverage for Worlds especially was Phenomenal. very good. The yeah. video quality is no, just magical. You know, we've always had like periods during the race where they just didn't have a camera. And I don't think there was a moment no, you know, where they sort so of just... You know, oh, let's look at the tenth place guy for a second, and we're back to the. You know, yeah. there was none of that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, unless it was interesting to do yeah. so. Uh, yeah, and okay. So last, my last like little shout out is just that. Can we just talk about Katarina Nash and how amazing right. it is to see her still racing? She finished thirteenth. Uh, she, I mean, barely raced like lacrosse all season, but showed up for this as just sort of a, you know, nod to the importance of the event being. And in we've the had US. her on twice, twice, or once, twice. Yeah. 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 So she's gone to the Olympics for cross-country skiing and, and for biking. mountain bike and then was now 13th Yeah, at a world. She won a World Cup last year, was 13th at the Cyclocross Worlds this past weekend. She's been on the podium several times too. Yeah. Yeah. She looked great. Yeah. Um, yep. Handled the big stairs quite well. Swimmingly. Yeah. I think she said she'd been running a lot of stairs in, uh, they're in like NorCal, I guess. So I guess okay. they've been doing, there's like a historic stairs or something, but okay. yeah, great story. Very inspiring. She's again a consummate athlete i would go back and listen to episodes with her just over yeah, and over I'll, again I'll she's those. awesome we'll put that on the notes here um, yeah and the last thing i wanted to note a lot of guys and voss ran water bottles and it was warmer on sunday in the elite men's race so it made sense that a lot more of them ran right. water bottles so cyclocross usually it's an hour or so or under so the people don't and it's often cold and muddy so there's generally no eating or drinking during the race. You don't really need to unless it's really hot. But yeah, they chose to run. I don't know if it was just because it was a little warmer. And I thought it was a bold move, especially for the smaller riders with the run up the stairs. Yeah, because there was a run up. So they were putting their bike on their shoulder. Again, if people aren't familiar with cyclocross, they sometimes run with your bike. Uh, and so to get the your arm and shoulder through the frame with a, with a, a bottle, bottle, especially as a smaller rider. Sometimes you can't even get a water bottle into some of these small frames. There's some tiny people, right? So yeah, sort of an interesting, I don't know. And then I was like, maybe the bottle was actually like positioning the bike further back. That's what I was thinking today on my ride. I was wondering if the bottle actually makes the seat not bash them in the back of the head. And that was, that's actually a really good yeah, point. I yeah. was wondering, cause I mean, I, I think, I don't know if I, I'm sure she drank out of it if she had it. She did. Yeah. There's actually a few, a few moments in the race you can see on the video where she, she actually takes a yeah, drink. Yeah. Sort of interesting. Right. But again, this, it's interesting to note some of these, uh, you know, tricks that the, the top writers, right. And you're like, why is that, uh, Pickcock didn't have one. Though, he did. Oh, he did. So that's yeah. sort of interesting. Well, They're not did. from the same country either. No. And it's, yeah. it's one of those things where you think about like conventional wisdom is that you wouldn't have a water bottle in cyclocross yet. A lot of these, a lot of the top men, because it was warmer on day two, so more of the men had it. Um, quite a few of them had it. Okay. But, you and know. dusty, it, I guess. It's too. just really flouting traditional cyclocross stuff to have a water Especially bottle. Especially with but, the run-up, yeah. But for everyone to actually, like, make those decisions for themselves and know, like, this is going to get me through the race better. So I think whatever race you're going to, if there's something that's going to get you through, even if it maybe isn't the, like, most popular decision or, you know, the traditional way someone does something, it's not not bad to try. It mm-hmm. might blow up catastrophically in your face, but you know, it's yeah, worth worth a shot. Anyway, so that was that was Cyclocross World. So definitely, definitely watch that replay. Okay, on to our questions. Uh, so this first one, Glassford, is very much up your alley. Um, so someone asked, um, "I've never mountain biked before, and I'm interested in trying it. Any suggestions for just how to start learning about it?" She's done a lot of road, a bit of cyclocross, a bit of gravel. Um, and yeah, just, just wondering how to, how to figure out starting mountain bikes also says, thank you for a great show. Thank you so much. It's always, it's always nice when a question ends like that. Well, and, and I guess on top of that, or to derail that we've taken a little while to answer this, I guess, with the holidays and stuff. So I apologize for that, but here we are. I mean, maybe we're not quite to mountain bike season yet. So here we are. So how could you start? I, I would say start for sure. You have a great if you've been doing other disciplines, you know, you have some fitness, you know how gears work, you've gotten, you know, balance figured out. So you're, you're away and you've probably done elements. There was gravel in there in cyclocross, I think. Yeah. So you've been off road, you've experienced, you know, bumps and different things. So that'll be great. Cyclocross was in the notes, sorry. So, I mean, even dismounting, I try and encourage, you know, if we can get comfortable with stopping before obstacles, if we have to walk. And, you know, if you're a cyclocrosser, you know, you can be even faster. So I think, you know, no shame in doing that just like cyclocross. Um, Molly does that all the time. She likes to run Darn and right. like cyclocross. So 
Uh, sometimes when we're riding, she'll do that versus, you know, a log hop or something if it's, it's too big and it, it, she keeps up often. So it's, it's fine. Right. Uh, so there's that. So it's okay to dab. Dabbing is putting our foot down. So I'm just trying to cover some. Okay, but hang on. I want to actually back up here because I think the first thing is always like, should I buy a mountain bike right off the bat? Oh, and I thought we had one. We did not say we oh, had one. Okay. Just said well. they want to get into mountain biking. So my first thing is actually if you can borrow or rent a mountain bike for a few rides, there's a lot of a lot of shops will have demo days where you can try out bikes. I would actually really encourage that over buying a bike just immediately. Try out a few. Yeah. Uh, only because like there are so many different types now and different sizes. You might prefer like 27 five wheels versus 29ers. Uh, you know, you might actually want more of like an all trail kind of burlier bike that feels better going over stuff, but maybe isn't uh, the sleekest, lightest bike for speedy racing. Or maybe you are, you know, if you're from the road, sometimes they prefer cross country. All that to say. There's a lot of range in mountain bikes anymore. Um, so definitely try before you buy. And I think the big mistake a lot of beginners make is they buy the cheapest mountain bike they can find. I would say not that you need the priciest bike, um, but renting for a bit and just getting used to it, figuring out what you like before just like buying, you know, a department store mountain bike to get started is probably a better sure better use of Yeah, there's a, there's a sweet spot in the middle. Uh, where the the weight and the way the gears function and having appropriate gears and a little bit of suspension and yeah it all makes a, a bit of a difference mm-hmm. okay. so, sorry that's just my my interjection okay, no, that's, me i mean a that's a good first. point for you know try it out and, and certainly if you go to a mountain bike center or something like that then you should be able to rent uh, and it doesn't really matter even what the rental is in that case, but yeah, get a, you know, and, and then a lesson I always say ski or not skiing, I guess skiing, skiing and swimming and golf, uh, are more, you know, people will, adults will get automatically yeah. assume they need lessons. You got to get lessons, right? Cause you can't ski, you can't swim, you, you know, golfing's embarrassing if you can't hit the ball or put it straight. Uh, so, you know, the, co- the coaching is sort of more obvious where cycling, especially as someone who's done other disciplines, a lot of people, you know, spend 10 years trying to figure it out. Uh, and then realize, oh, you know, there's these couple quick, you know, things that, you know, it can be pointed out, whether it's bike setup or approach to something. It's so funny. I just talked to a cross-country ski coach for an article I was doing for bicycling on cyclists becoming cross-country skiers. And he said almost verbatim what you just said about cross-country skiing, which is just, sure, you can go out and cross-country ski, but it's you're not going to be super psyched if you, if you, you know, just kind of do all these bad habits for a few years and you're just not really making any progress. And it turns out that if you just had learned these basic movements early. Skiing's probably similar. Cross country skiing you're talking about or? Yeah. Yeah. Cross country skiing. Yeah. It's probably similar. That's what I said to you when we learned swimming. I was, I was, I sort of found it similar in some ways. Uh, but definitely, yeah, you fall over and all your skis are all over the place and you don't know how to glide and yeah, the getting up seems to be coordinating big, arm, uh, arms and feet. Issue. Yeah. Yeah. I actually had a client, uh, or two actually who have been trying it this year and sort of tried that, do it on their own. And I said, no, you're just gonna, you know, you're going to get frustrated probably. Right. So similarly with mountain biking, so we have a bike, you're going to go maybe try a bike, rent a bike, borrow a bike or a few times, get instruction. Um, if you don't have instruction around you, even just looking for like a beginner group ride can be And there's a lot of these women's, huge. Yeah. women's group rides are great. He should add a woman asked this question. He didn't just assume that a beginner mountain biker was a woman. Just wanted to make that clear. Right, right. <laughs> um, and then from there, what was I going to say? The, uh, Ryan Leach has been on the podcast before. And I think this is maybe step five or six uh, after, you know, trying it. But and getting in-person uh, instruction. But Ryan Leach has a great course. And the last time he was on, we talked about this, and it's called Bulletproof Basics, I believe. And it has a lot of good things you can do. Maybe this is actually closer to step two or three. But it has a lot of things around this idea of you know getting started and getting stopped, putting your foot down, the fundamentals of cornering, the fundamentals of pressure, the fundamentals of position. And so I think that course is actually a really good... Uh, thing you can do as far as homework and and again you could do a lot of this in a local park cyclocross style Uh, you don't necessarily need a trail for it so I would say something like that and and we actually do I coach on it as well Uh, and so what we do is people upload their videos via YouTube or whatever 
and then we can sort of help them along if you're having trouble, if the lessons themselves, which are, are great and progressive as they go through their little snippets. So I think that's a Ryan Leach uh, promotion there for you. Uh, but something that I think has been really well received. So you can check that out and I'll put that link in our show notes as well. And then what else could you do here? So we have, you're going mountain biking, you're trying it. It's okay to stop. It's okay to put your foot down. You've been trying a couple different bikes to see what you like. Uh, I guess the other thing that, so maybe a little different from what people will tell you, or, you know, if you get a coach, they're going to help you, you know, along is, is I think now we have all these different, we have fat bikes and we have plus bikes. And I do think for beginners getting, you know, even a fat bike, if you're in a winter, the fat bike is so stable side to side. And similarly with a plus bike, um, that you can get a little bit more confidence side to side. Uh, so the plus bike is definitely, or, or a fat bike, even in the summer, really a fat bike would be fine. Maybe you can get a friend who has a fat bike and doesn't ride it in the, the winter. They could loan you this fat bike and it just keeps it slower, right? There's more resistance. So you don't have to, the braking isn't as important. The bike doesn't, you know, if you get onto a downhill, it doesn't just doesn't get rolling quite as right. fast. Uh, so I think that's an idea. And I guess finally, you're going to always have this clipless pedals versus flat pedal. Uh, and some coaches are, you know, one way or the other. And the answer is in the middle. You don't have to throw your flat pedal or your clipless pedals out. I assume you're using them since you're coming from road and cyclocross. But for learning the fundamentals of mountain biking, the flat pedals are going to be really good. You're going to feel safer. You're not going to spend time worrying about if you can unclip for that log. So I would say, like, no questions asked. Your first bunch of mountain bike rides should be on flat pedals. And then if you do decide to start racing or whatever, you can certainly use uh, it, both. Uh, it's, but it's a both and not an either or. And I'll add to that. I think the, the other happy medium is, is getting a pedal with a wider, that's a clipless pedal, but with a wider base. So this is more of like the crank brothers mallet or like even the crank brothers candy where you actually, if you don't make, if you don't actually clip in, you can still keep pedaling. Um, I've found that to be super helpful just from, a like possibly. And, yeah. And I, I, as long as it's not a crutch, like it, it's not the same. Um, no, but, and I do think that. You know, eventually getting a good set of flat sold mountain bike shoes sure. when good pedals, uh, like it's just not the same as it. And you'll get people trying to not, you just never want to get into a situation where you're not clipping in to try and be safe to then ride something not sure. clipped in on clipless pedals is very sketchy and people do it all the time. And this is, you know, they think they're being safe, but they're never committing to the obstacles. So they're never going to ride it right? right. Uh, or it's not going to be super safe. Um, right. So they're just never going to, and you see people again, it's like 10 years. I've had clients going to be 10 years and they've injured themselves Mm -hmm. and they're just not progressing. They're not getting over any logs. They walk every log, you know, they have rules like this. So fair enough. Fair enough. But I I think this person will be in in good shape. I think they'll enjoy it. They'll try it, but hopefully those are some ideas. And I think I have two more little, little tips to add here. Uh, one is just, uh, don't feel like you need to go out and buy an entire mountain bike, uh, mountain bike specific wardrobe. I think it's totally fine to ride in your normal road clothing. I mean, that's what I do 99% of the time. Um, I mean, if you, if you want to get mountain bike shorts and baggy Jersey, that's fine. But I think just don't be stressed about having the, the exact like mountain bike clothing. You're, you're totally fine. Yeah. Um, You should be most of the way there. And you know, again, baby steps you can certainly get there mm-hmm. um, and i mean a normal shorts work just fine too mm-hmm. um, and just don't forget to eat and drink on the bike it's on in mountain biking especially if you don't have a hydration pack it's a little more hectic to think to you know reach down and grab your water bottle uh, so just making sure that you are eating and drinking and on the mountain bike especially as you're getting started that might mean you have to actually stop and take a sip take a bite of something whatever um, but don't go, you know, on a three hour ride and then realize that you have a full water bottle and bar that you didn't eat and you're horribly bunked at the end, which is something that I have definitely done multiple times as I was getting into mountain biking. I guess one, is that all your points? That's all my okay. points. The only other thing is when, once you get <laughs> riding, so I was just thinking, how would, how do I progress And this, this year with the pandemic, everyone was getting bikes. And so I had a lot more, you know, day one beginners than I've ever had before. Usually the people I've had at Historia are more like they've been racing a bit or, or have some experience like, like our, our listener here. Um, so we actually would, you know, I think about the environment. So we want it very open. So again, grassy field is safe and you can do sort of basics of braking and position and everything else. But then we would ride, our town has gravel paths that go pavement gravel. There's a little bit of single track E, but not, it's pretty wide and pretty, you know, there's like a route here or there, but not nothing 
technical at all and very open. Like you could, mm-hmm. two good riders could probably ride side by side if you challenge them to uh, on this. And, and then eventually we go to, we have a sandy place that's single track, but not technical. And then we go to, you know, if the goal is to get to the local trails, which are much rockier and much hillier, right? Then we start gradually <laughs> inching towards that as appropriate. Um, and so I think you could do that yourself, right? Don't rush. And I think it, it's logical, right? I think in skiing or something where right, you're always, gr- you know, what is it? Green it's and then bunny slope. Gre- yeah. Bunny slope. And then the green runs or the blue runs or the black diamond and then the reds. Right. But I think sometimes we forget that, you know, there's maybe the local trail or the convenient trail, or the trail that your friends ride that, but we can do the double track trail to start and master that flat and straight double track out and back double track. I love an out and back double track. The next time it's a twistier double track with some hills or something. So think about the environment, uh, not just, you know, maybe the skill. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Great question. Excellent question. All right. Um, Suggestion, actually kind of not not exactly the same, similar vein though. Uh, Suggestion for off-season training for a new cyclist who's uh, last year, you know, 30 mile rides, that kind of thing. So newer, but I'd say that's, that's pretty darn fit. That's great. Yeah. Is, do we have a discipline? I think on the road. Okay. Okay. So off-season training. I mean, I think we'll both start by saying literally anything is right. great training. And Use the seasons. Seasonality. As, as consummate athletes, we're super fans of that. I mean, it's going to depend on where you are. I mean, you might be somewhere where you can actually ride year-round. So, you know, more power to you. Um, but if you're in a wintry destination or wintry area... You know, ski, snowshoe, all of that stuff is going to, you know, just keep your fitness going, keep it building, mm-hmm. uh, especially for a newer cyclist, really anything you can do that's going to boost fitness of, I think literally any kind is going to be helpful. So whether you're boosting your endurance with a long snowshoe or you're doing a shorter, harder run or shorter, harder ski or something like that, uh, or you're in the weight room doing some strength, all of that is going to build you into a, you know, better, stronger cyclist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with all of that. Yeah, the walking is going to be good when you can walk. Uh, if, if there's a little bit of running, we're always cautious with running, but you know, even a run walk or some short runs in part of a, a hike or a walk would be great. Uh, but yeah, if you're able to ski or snowshoe or fat bike, do all that. If you can periodically get out on the bike, that would be great, uh, but that's not always possible. If you have a trainer, certainly we're going to use that trainer, but I think we've lost you know, the, the seven day a week, you know, on the trainer program, I I don't know that that's the way, uh, Mm -hmm. we really like to see that variability in what we're calling off season, right? And off season, it's like, well, you mean sort of the, it's not summer. Um, you know, you've maybe taken a bit of time off for the holidays or in the fall, and now you're in off season training, which we might also call base or the general preparation period. I've gone to using general preparation period because it sort of answers the question. It's general and we're preparing, uh, and, and in that period, we're doing cross training to increase the, the volume of training we're doing. Um, mm-hmm. you know, if we do different sports, we can often do more time. If we only did the trainer, most people have a, a limit somewhere. Some are more than others. Um, but if we add trainer for a couple, you know, two by 30 or 40 or an hour rides, two or three of those, maybe, maybe you're getting out for a weekend, as Molly said, fat bike, cross country ski, snowshoe, all of the above. Uh, that, that works great. Right. So I, I would see, you know, if we were going to talk about a week, I would say maybe on a Tuesday, you jump on the trainer for 45 minutes and you include a couple 30 second, we'll call them efforts, uh, say five by 30 to 45 seconds. And you're going to go hard, but you're going to keep the cadence. I want you to focus on the cadence on that. So that's a Tuesday, Wednesday, maybe you're able to get outside for a hike or a nighttime snowshoe, uh, something like that, or a walk even would be great. Uh, one of those days, probably we'd try and do a strength workout. So that could be, I think either day would be great. Uh, and that could be a, something like a 30 minute strength workout would be great. And, and that can strength. We, you know, as long as you're doing it, we're happy, right? Start, start with a t- our 10 minute routine is great. Uh, I guess I can put a note to link to that to something like our anywhere core or the mm-hmm. 10 minute. Core. Yeah. Uh, but there's really no magic to it. Uh, it's, it's 10 minutes where you do some push-ups and some lunges. If that's all you have, if you have a pull-up bar, you can add pull-ups. Um, I was also going to say the off season or this time of year is a great time to really be developing those daily habits of that five to 10 minute. Sure. Just every morning strength and mobility thing that you're going to then stick with just 
every day. It's the best thing I've seen. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe we even add that in. So we're going to go Monday, even Monday to Friday, but it could be Monday to Sunday. You're going to do 10 minutes of core in the morning, whatever core means to you. If it's a Pilates video, Molly does yoga. I have a kettlebell that I go through sort of a Dan John-esque easy strength. So I have some swing, some kettlebell swings, some squats. Uh, some presses in there. Uh, usually there's pull-ups, but we don't have our pull-up bar anymore where we are. So I'm doing bent over row. Um, and that's what we do for about 10, 15, maybe it's 20 some, but for you, it's going to be 10 minutes every day. I like it. So we said Tuesday, we're doing some higher effort, but otherwise just spinning easy. It's going to take about 45 minutes. Wednesday, we're going to get outside, whether that's a walk or a ski, something like that. Uh, Thursday, what could we do? A yoga video, maybe well, something a bit longer. Yeah, you could do that. I, I mean, I was going to say that maybe this Thursday, maybe that actually is our second trainer workout. So that could be, again, moderate at most because this is, we don't want to be going too hard. And, and Tuesday had some spice to it. There was a couple harder 30 seconds in there. So this could be just, you know, more endurance focused, you know, maybe at most up to in that tempo range, which is zone three or that 85% max heart rate, you know, we call that maybe a five or six out of 10, not too hard. Friday, I think, is a great traditional sort of yoga day. We do yoga on Fridays with consummate athlete coaching clients. And then Saturday, Sunday, you're going to try and just put in time. So you're just going to be outside, hopefully, uh, you know, doing all the things. Mm -hmm. So I have some clients will go and they'll do cross-country skiing in the morning and snowshoe in the afternoon. Fat bike sometimes gets sprinkled in there. Uh, any of the above. So yeah, that's the idea. And what are you going to progress, right? You could progress the number of those 30 second efforts. You could progress your strength uh, and you could progress that time on the weekends, right? So we start maybe 90 minutes each day or maybe uh, 90 minutes on Saturday, one hour on Sunday, and then you just build that, right? And, and I think that routine you would probably do for two months even, take a, the fourth week off of each month. Love it, yeah. And I'd say my... Only my only other thing to add. I, I always like just having one more. Yeah, you more. like to have the last word. I like word. the last word. Yeah. Uh, is if you are thinking towards racing your bike at all and you're sort of new to this, is maybe squeeze in some skills stuff on, on Friday maybe. And uh, we've talked about it before on the podcast, but even if even if you are in the winter and you have a basement or a garage, there's still some skill stuff that you can be working on. There's track standing. There's like tiny little corners you could be doing. Or the rollers. Water bottle. Uh, I think the rollers True. have come out of favor because everyone's doing Zwifting, right? But I, I do think that that's still, if you can't ride them, then there's a limiter for you, right? We we're just talking, we talked about standing in the, the lead up to this. And it's, I bet you those things, if you can't ride rollers, I don't know how you're going to handle standing up and going as hard as you possibly can. Sure. Um, right. It's just, it's that craziness, the craziness that you feel on rollers. And I'm talking craziness when you're going really hard on rollers and the cadence is up and the wheels are moving really, really fast. Maybe you're even standing. Uh, you know, it's, it's a lot like starting, you know, a mountain bike race or something like sure. that. Uh, so I think that's, you know, if you have rollers, use them, you know, a few times a week and, and that could just be some spin ups or again, <laughs> practice your starts practice uh trying to stand yeah and on the trainer if you do just have a regular trainer you can practice clipping in clipping out each foot you can for practice sure. getting your reaching down for your water bottle and taking it out i find so many people put the water bottle on a table next to them so yeah. they never actually have to reach down into their into their cage sure. and actually pull it out try to do that without looking down at it all of that stuff's gonna just help you so much during the, the actual It's season. weird. Yeah, I'm very adverse to setting up. It sort of fits in our life, so I guess that's convenient. We don't have space to have a... A, a the, trainer station, oh, I was like gonna pain say a cave. Pain, pain cave. Uh, but I, I really like to know that if you said you got to go outside and ride now, that I could take my bike quickly off the trainer, put the wheel on, and I guess assuming I don't need to change my clothes or add clothes, uh, you know, like it's ready to go. So it's every time I do intervals, the same bike device, the Garmin's there, the water is in the water bottle. You know, I wear a jersey and put my any snacks that I might need. I don't put my tools in my pocket, I guess, but I could. Uh, so I, I don't know. That's maybe a little over the top for most people. You know, if you have the space, use the space, I suppose. But I think Molly's point to your water bottle is, is a thing, right? People then get outside and they can't drink or, or it's not automatic, right? And a lot of this stuff should just be grooved. The bottle comes out, the bottle goes in and it's, it could, you could be in a group of a hundred people going 50 kilometers an hour. What I don't know what that is in miles, 30. 
uh, and, and you could do it and it still terrifies me in groups, but <laughs> you can get it done. Uh, so that's that. I don't know what else did we say that, you know, that's off season. So this is, I'm thinking January, February into March. And then probably as you're getting into that two months to when you want to be really ready for biking, then you'd probably add some time either outside on the bike or more times on the trainer, uh, which wasn't necessarily your question, but that's when we're getting, you know, we sort of increase the uh, specificity as we get into that specific preparation period and leave the general preparation period. So I think that's the an idea as far as the off season or the general preparation period. Uh, we do have a plan in the Training Peak store, actually, that is, I think the one I was looking at yesterday is actually the transition phase, which is sort of a weird plan, but uh, someone, a couple of people have got that one. And I think it, it essentially has what I'm talking about, a little bit of tempo, encourages you to cross train. It's got one or two of these sort of coordination, spin up, you know, keep the sort of power uh, in there. Uh, but it's, that's the idea. And I'm trying to think we also have our, the most popular plan we have is that base. Uh, it's maybe four months, three months or four months of, yeah. of, of off season base for off road. That sounds like not the name of the thing, but it's base for off road. So it's for any of the disciplines because it's general, any of the off road disciplines because it's general. Okay. And we'll link to that in the show notes. And I guess this person was road. We also have a Fondo base plan, but there you go. There you go. Okay. And then I think our, our last question we'll get to today is just zones. I get oh, so confused questions. about zones <laughs> and what I should use. Okay. Okay. Glassford, go. I think you should use whatever the training plan or the coach that you're using uses. Okay. So here's actually point number one is that some coaches are not super clear about what's how they define their zone. So if you are struggling to figure out what the heck zone you're supposed to be in and you you can't find it easily on your coach's website with a quick search, it's okay to ask sure. what their what their zone thing they're using is because some of them just kind of throw zone three out there without actually giving yeah. any context. So I'm, I, I guess you're right. Like I, it's a fair question and people are trying to understand, right? Uh, what to do and be what, what's the workout. And, and so I've taken the stance that I don't really use zones, which probably doesn't help uh, <laughs> as we're talking through this. Uh, but what I do is I just say, okay, we, we need to know our, our threshold and our max heart rate. I tend to use max heart rate zones with most people. There's a long story behind it and uh, how I, you know, sort of use it and cross-reference it. And there's certainly exceptions to everything, uh, but for better and wor or worse, that's how we do it. So I, I like that. So we program those into whatever device you use. Now you, the device you use, where this gets confusing is that the device you use probably won't match up to training peaks or whatever else Swift you use. They all have their own zones. And that's, I think the heart of where people get confused is that there's all these slightly different zone systems and all the programs and things you use. So I just say, don't look at them. Like, I don't know when in, in my stuff, I don't know when you really need to look at it or use it. Right. I, I don't say zone three. I try and not say zone three. I know I said it probably in this podcast already. Uh, I try and say tempo and, and associate, what does that mean? What does that feel like? And, and then we put a percent of max heart rate with that. On that note, could you maybe just speak to what the primary, uh, not zones, uh, but <laughs> like, groups are as far as that goes so you go recovery endurance right yeah I, I guess if there's utility to that i think just quickly naming them because it, you just drop tempo in there very casually right so. right, right and i mean it all min means different again that's where it depends what the plan you're using right if you're with a running coach often tempo actually is more like a, a the race pace uh that they do right so i think in like marathon terminology that's sort of the idea uh, but again, it probably depends which marathon coach you have. So uh, in general, I, I think of recovery as sort of the zone one. And, and it's tricky because recovery is misleading because a lot of really fit or elite people will actually spend a lot of time in uh, zone one. Uh, zone two is sort of popular. That's sort of under that uh, often that fat max if you're in sort of that VO2 testing world uh, or aerobic threshold. Um so that's the aerobic threshold. So zone two ends at what I, I always think of it as sort of around 75% max heart rate. Uh, and it's the top of the endurance range. So zone two is endurance. And that's where we spend the bulk of our time is between those zone one and two. So under aerobic threshold uh, is where we spend our time. Okay. Aerobic threshold tends to be hard to define. I think the last time we had Steven Seiler on, maybe he was talking a bit about that, that it's, it's pretty tricky you know, the lactate threshold or the anaerobic threshold wallet is also complicated. Um, 
it's it's more clear, right? We can you do a lactate test or do a VO2 test or do a, a, a 20 minute functional threshold test and just find sort of that like top end threshold uh, for the system you use. Uh, it's relatively clear as much as anything is clear. Uh, aerobic threshold is trickier, but it's sort of the idea that once you start, your breath starts deepening and it's, it's not sustainable for a longer period of time, you're getting out of that endurance zone, so to speak. So as you're getting out of conversation pace where you're kind of getting to that one sentence is about all you can comfortably say before taking like a big breath. Well, so you get tricky there, right? So there's anaerobic threshold, which is when you start or you're gasping and, and there's like that actual like you don't speak in sentences. Whereas aerobic thresholds much lower and the tricky thing with again this is where it only matters so much for some people because the less fit you are often it's sort of just (laughs) you're not going to endure that long right you're not you don't have a lot of endurance and so your heart rate probably goes up really quickly right so then you probably are a person that finds zones really frustrating and so sometimes it's just focused on the ride right most of the beginners I work with I try and be like more focused on today this is what we're going to do maybe we use perceived exertion a little bit uh, but you're trying to finish a one-hour ride mostly easy right for the beginners the fitter you get and the higher your wattage gets then we can be really precise and have 20 zones because you know you have so many watts that it makes more sense oh you actually just brought up an excellent point as you said watts there right um, watts versus heart rate. And we actually discussed so, this last yeah. week. So. so this is where you're going to start confusing people. But Right, right. Well, you said watts. I thought you were talking about heart rate this whole time. I am talking about heart rate, yeah. Yeah, So, it, and we'll get to that. But the zone systems also don't need to line up <laughs> between them and wouldn't. You know, it would be weird if, if the power meter lined up with your body, right? And you can imagine how if it was really hot out or you're really stressed or it was the end of a 100 miler or the end of a race, that you could imagine that your heart rate will be much higher than it might be in a very cold day, uh, you know, just starting out on a ride. Right. right. Your heart rate is different than the power meter, uh, which is not a bad thing. You need both of them, uh, which I think people are coming around on. So do you want me to finish this? So we have aerobic threshold. We go over that zone three or tempo, right? So that's I consider that sort of into the 80% of, of max heart rate. And there's sort of a weird gray area that's, you know, sort of your Ironman pace that I've sort of skipped over because I said 75%. And then we get into sort of 80 to say 85% is tempo. Uh, and this is of percent max heart rate. And then above that would be zone four. So maybe that's 85 to, you probably go to 95% for threshold. That's sort of just riding threshold intervals and threshold intervals. Uh, zone four tends to be quite hard. Uh, somewhere in there is also sweet spot, which I've switched over, which is the break point between zone three and zone four. So it's like the middle ground, like high tempo, low threshold is what sweet spot is. It's just that theoretical sweet spot that, uh, we've had uncle Frank on Frank Overton, Mr. Sweet spot, uh, talking about sweet spot, which is very popular and I think works great for a lot of people. Uh, so that's between zone three and zone four. Zone four includes the threshold in this case, uh, I guess this would be, you know, Joe Friel would define that as your 30 minute heart rate maximum, like the max average you can do. So if you did a 30 minute time trial, I think Joe Friel actually takes the last 20 minutes of that to be complicated. Uh, I usually just pick out the 30 minute peak and it's usually out of a, you know, a, a Zwift race someone's done or an actual race. You know, if you take your 30 minute peak out of a, a cyclocross race, that, that maybe is even on the high side, but that's probably a place to start. Uh, where are we? Zone four. So zone four, it's in there. Uh, I guess that's, you know, again, it's sort of around 90% often, but plus or minus. Uh, and then where are we going? Zone five. So I guess that's, you know, I, I think of that as sort of VO two. So we've just really hard hill intervals. Uh, so that's sort of, to me, I, I think of that as 90%. Plus, you'll see that is defined as lots of things, but 90%. And again, all of this is going to take some time. So if you started into a five-minute VO2 interval, you, you don't want to rush to get to 90%. Like, you're going to be working hard from second one, but it might take till even interval. Sometimes you might only get to 88 or 89%, uh, something like that, or even 86%, depending on your body. Uh, but then intervals two, three, four, five might even get you know, 95, 100% in some people. Uh, so it really, you know, you want to give heart rate time, but that's the idea is that that zone five then is that you call it VO2 or anaerobic. 
some people would then have a zone six, but I, for, I just assume that you're sprinting, uh, for that. And then the zone six is more of a, a power based thing. Cause you could actually define that a little better than heart rate again, cause there's a lag time. So VO two tends to be long enough that we have it. Whereas sprinting and anaerobic, you don't, you usually are just going as hard as you can. Right. So hopefully that was interesting talking through zones for heart rate. I think so. Okay. Um, and I think, you know, again, this, this just helps sort of when they see when someone sees zone three now, hopefully you have a little bit more context for what that means. Uh, and if a workout doesn't seem to make sense with that, again, uh, double check what, uh, what scale your coach is using. Feel free to ask, mm-hmm. uh, what they're using. Well, and I guess, so let's talk through, so what the most common thing is I sort of alluded to it is that zone two, or, uh, you know, I'm going to call it endurance or ride under 75%. That's what usually my clients will know. Most workouts are like, uh, and, and you know, even around intervals, it's under 75%. So the warm up under 75%, the cool down under 75%. So what most people then will find is that they want to always ride over 75%. And that I always call the cliche of endurance training. Right. Right. So the question is, what do you do? Well, I think you, <laughs> you probably need to mostly ride under 75%. And there's a host of reasons for that. Uh, you know, it, it, the muscle fiber, you know, we activate the slow twitch muscle fiber. So they're the ones working aerobically. We're building mitochondria. It's a very repeatable intensity. Uh, I don't think we get the same stress response from that, right? If we think about sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system, I, my, what I suspect, you know, what I've, I've, implied is that once you get over that you start getting into more of that fight or flight whereas under 75 percent we can avoid some of that so it's not as stressful so then we're able to do it again soon we're able to do those intervals tomorrow or the next day or whenever we're doing intervals again if every day is like an interval then every day is like an interval right none of the days it's all sort of moderate so that's again sort of the cliche of endurance training so that's the the trouble people have is that it's that staying under 75%. And so at some point, I think you got to try it. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, do you have any tips for someone staying under that 75% as far as maybe talk about that conversation? Like, is there a way to kind of force yourself under it? Maybe either invite a friend along for the ride, make sure you're chatting the whole time, or even just trying to say a few sentences out loud. Because I know sometimes you you may not have your, your heart rate data showing or power might be off or whatever like so i i think first off I, we talked about this a little bit did we talk about this last time i'm not sure but i you know when someone's just starting i don't really care we they just just you know, we're trying these are the frequency clients right so if you're not riding five days a week i think just go ride um you know try and have a purpose for the ride but you know, try and accomplish that purpose. So if today's a hilly ride or today's got some intervals, Peter said, okay, five by 30 seconds to 45 seconds. We're going to try that today. Make sure you're recovering between them and you're paying attention during those. Uh, and then the next day should be a flat, flatter day. Uh, but until, until you're riding, I think five days, it doesn't even matter because you're getting recovery between them. So I think that usually for a lot of people, it's like, oh, okay, it just doesn't matter. I'm stressing. I'm making this more complicated than it needs to be. Once we get riding more, you know, and these are the people who are maybe really into sweet spot or Zwifting, then I think that's where it's, you're going to have to figure out zone two and map it out right? and give it a try. And then I think it's just defining it, right? Mm-hmm. And it's patience. And I think it's picking your route a little bit more than, you know, usually that's part of the problem is you, you have a route that's too challenging for your fitness to stay zone two, right? And then this is the decision, you know, do you invest in that time? Mm-hmm. And if you find yourself as one of those people who creeps zones and does that always a little higher, a yeah. little higher, a little higher, uh, what I would actually recommend is on your cycling computer, set it so that your main number that's showing isn't your Watts or isn't your, isn't your distance. It's actually your heart rate. So you have that as your biggest number. That's the thing you're seeing. Um, yeah. That's what mine looks like. It's time is not as big. I think heart rate's bigger. Sometimes it depends on the screen. And then I would have like, power but i did do power by uh percent of ftp for a while and that was actually sort of neat too and i think gets at what you're saying yeah just figure out whatever whatever thing you need to see that's going to keep you in that actual <laughs> maybe, appropriate yeah. zone and then I, maybe keeping the thing that you're creeping off the screen <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. like if you're one of those yeah if you're supposed to be doing a workout based on your heart rate zones keep the honestly keep the power off the screen and just look at the heart rate because i think the tendency is to look at the power and want to edge that power up 
And I do think the feeling is important too. You starting to understand, you know, even when you look down and you see, okay, it says 85% or it says a hundred percent, what is going on in your body right now? And, and can you start feeling, you know, if you talk to an elite, often they don't even need to look that much, you know, they probably still do, but they know, oh, this is, you know, I'm at, I'm over 75%. I can tell you that, right? They're not maxed out, but they could tell you they were over and they'd be within, you know, oh yeah, it's eight, 79%, right? Mm-hmm. They know that the difference between pushing and not. Um, yeah, I think that that's the idea. Um, did I have anything else on zones? I think that's it. Yeah, the power doesn't line up. I think the the thing I see with power zones, we don't need to, the, the zones are essentially the same as far as what they're defined as, but the testing of threshold for your, you know, big power people and your threshold power people, I think if you're not doing a long test and you're not making progress anymore, uh, then it's time to start doing longer intervals and an actual like longer test. And that's, you know, 20 minutes minimum, but I've gone to using even 35 where we just ease into the first 10. Because uh, I think that's that's the trait. Like threshold is for an extended period. That is the thing. So trying right. to get around and, and avoid doing it um, is tough. And I think the reality is that all these races, whatever racing you're doing, uh, it's <laughs> it's hard. Right. You know, you're sitting in that red zone. You're sitting with your hand in the fire for a long time. This all just reminds me of whose line is it anyway? The zones are made up. The zones don't matter. <laughs> well, ultimately they don't, right? I think you, a lot of, I have a few clients that train pretty much by feel. And and that's, that's how I train. And, and I think if you train by feel, that means you choose your route and you have an intention for the day. I think that's how you train by feel, right? There's a different, you can just go ride. That's one thing. But if you train by feel, that's where I think you have an intention. Today's a, a flat and fast Today's, you know, a mountain, a hilly, hilly off-road ride. Today I'm going to smash some climbs. Uh, so that's that's zones. And I think just not not overstressing it. But mm-hmm. All right, perfect. Well, we have a couple more questions, but we'll we'll save them for next time. Uh, for now, you can head over to consummateathlete.com to grab the show notes or hit us up with any more questions. We got some awesome ones and some just lovely listener feedback this past couple weeks. So thank you so much. And uh, yeah, keep, keep it coming. Uh, and if you haven't already, uh, head over to iTunes or wherever you listen to this, uh, rate review. It's super, super helpful. Uh, and yeah, we will see you next week. Have an excellent week. Thanks so much for tuning into the consummate athlete podcast. If you enjoyed this or any of our past episodes, do us a solid and leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts and check out our book, becoming a consummate athlete over at consummateathlete.com. questions or comments. Find us over on Instagram at consummate athlete, and we will see you next week.